I'm not going to preach on the epistle, but I thought I'd just mention you hear things read. And I thought to myself, here's Paul in t lamenting the fact that everybody's left him but Luke. And it sounds kind of poor me. But don't you think living with Paul would be a little intense? <laughs> Could be that, you know, Crescens and Titus, who's in Dalmatia, maybe he always wanted a house in the Dolomites anyway. It's hard to know. So uh, there it is, and uh, just Luke is with him, the steadfast, faithful Luke, which is why this is included, of course. The question that's, that's uh, the comment that's mentioned there that always makes me wonder is what in the world was in those parchments that he said, bring with you, right? I would love to know that. That would be of great interest. Maybe other epistles or who knows. One of the uh, triumphs of the liturgical renewal in the Episcopal Church over the last 35 years has been the restoration of the Sunday as something that is central to our self-understanding in terms of our common worship and the reminder on a weekly basis that each Sunday is a day of the resurrection, a little Easter. And so appropriating the power of the Easter faith becomes a little bit easier when we understand this Sunday to Sunday. And what that meant in practical terms was in the old way of doing things, if a saint's day fell on a Sunday, it was a particular saint's day, you bumped the Sunday for the saint's day. So we were bumping the Sunday for the feast of Mother Cabrini's shoes. And one of the benefits is that we now only do it under certain circumstances. A parish church whose patron is a particular saint may be the saint may be celebrated on that Sunday, and this Sunday is the Feast of St. Luke, October the 18th. So it affords the opportunity on an annual, you can also transfer the, the, the patronal feast to the Sunday. That's permitted as well. And so we're able to speak a little bit about St. Luke and the significance of having St. Luke as our patron and some things uh, about that. What I want to preach about is a little bit about St. Luke segueing into the gospel according to St. Luke, and then to say some things perhaps about what it might mean to uh, be a parish dedicated to St. Luke. What are some of the things uh, that are important about that? There's no reason to assume that the gospel you just heard from was not written by somebody named Luke, there's no reason to assume that the person who wrote that gospel was not a physician. When I first came here and was looking at ancient correspondence uh, from St. Luke's church, I noticed that on the letterhead they used to call uh, St. Saint, Saint Luke the physician, which was a common designation for St. Luke. And so here at St. Luke's we've done that. We've been faithful on a weekly basis to uh, having a healing service, which is something that is part of um, the importance of St. Luke in terms of his uh, being interested in this. There are more healing stories in Luke's gospel than in any of the other gospels, which may be an affirmation of him being a physician and being interested in God's healing power as it is worked through the Savior and then by extension through the church that he believed was part of God's plan to come into being. 
There is no reason, uh, the other thing I should mention to you is that the gospel that Luke wrote is the best Greek in the New Testament. He was the Shakespeare of the New Testament. So I was always grateful in Greek class that I didn't have to do a translation each week from Luke. I could get a, 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 get a little easier road if it was John, for whom it was clear Greek was not his first language, right? Why is that important? Well, it's important because this means that this gospel was written for the Gentile audience. Greek was obviously Luke's first language, or one he was very, very uh, practiced in. Remember in the ancient Near East, when Alexander the Great came into that part of the world and conquered it a long time before Jesus, he insisted that Greek culture be uh, imposed and taught on the people who lived in those places. And so the Greek language came to be known. They had Greek theaters. They knew something about Greek culture and Greek practices. And the Roman Empire, certainly influenced by Greek culture, in some ways reinforced all of that. So it was important. There's a, it's a different kind of Greek, though. The lingua franca of that part of the ancient Near East was a kind of Greek called koine, and the Greek of Aristotle and Plato and Aristophanes and all the big Greek cheeses was called Attic Greek. So Koine, as Dr. Reginald Fuller said in a lecture I heard him give when I was a student, said uh, Koine Greek is the kind of Greek a truck driver would use to explain to his wife why he hadn't come home the night before. <laughs> so Luke was the Shakespeare of the New Testament. Here's what we know. Luke, the gospel, according to St. Luke, is volume one of a two-volume set. Volume two is the book of Acts. The same person who wrote Luke wrote Acts. And so for Luke, the gospel is about the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit of God in the person of Jesus Christ, in his words and in his works. And so his teaching is about how we have understand, understood how history has been transformed, how matters of social justice and equity and economic parity are at the heart of our self-understanding as Christian people, and that whenever we see the presence of God's healing power in relationship physically, emotionally, mentally, we see the presence of the kingdom of God. And that these three characteristics, which are present in the person of Jesus Christ, in the gospel according to St. Luke, then become transferred in the book of Acts to us. We become the beneficiaries and the fiduciaries of the Holy Spirit of God. And so we now are well situated to be transparencies and reflections of all these signs of God's kingdom to the world. You know, you and I should be on a daily basis in big and small ways laboring to make this a society where it is easier for people to be good. And Luke felt keenly that that was one of the principal reasons for the church's existence. 
Another thing that he was concerned to show in his gospel and in the book of Acts was it is part of the plan of God that the church come into being. So Christians who were standing around at the time of the writing of Luke's gospel and saying, well, he said he was going to come back and he hasn't come yet. What are we to think about that? Well, it's part of the plan of God that the church come into being. Why is that important? It's not important because the institution has come into being. It is important because you are the people of God. We are the people of God. And this means that for Luke and for the Savior described in his writings we now become part of God's plan for the cosmos. That you have a role to play in big and small ways. You know, this could transform itself if you want to use high-tone theology into kind of a works righteousness, couldn't it? That we're, it's all up to us. That's not what I mean. It does mean that when we believe as people of faith in the mighty works of Jesus Christ, and the transforming power of that, that we may not think of that apart from hope and charity. And that in the church, consistent with Luke's gospel, hope and charity are commodities that we freely trade in, in the wider society and in our relational life, one with another. And so by virtue of that, it is important who we are and what we do. It's an affirmation that you count that God loves, accepts, and forgives you unconditionally, and by virtue of the feeling of liberation that you have as the result of that, will empower you now to be the best human being you can be. You know, if you hear this stuff about being made in God's image and likeness, it has something to do with the way in which we then are part of the plan of God, and whenever we reflect the best of our humanity, we are filling out fully what it means to be a human being and what it means to be made in God's image. We believe that Jesus was a human being and was God. And the relationship between his humanity and divinity is indistinguishable. Now you may have trouble with that and it's okay. But we do know that those who followed Jesus and heard his words and saw his works believed keenly that in this man's words and in this man's works we have seen words and works indistinguishable from the words and works of God. And this was not some tableau that we had been watching play out in front of us as sort of an audience seeing the Savior perform one miracle after another or saying one gem after another, but giving each of us tools that we could use. And the way that we appropriate it and understand how it works is that we now have access to this Holy Spirit, which resides in the hearts of all faithful people. And in our tradition, in the sacramental system, you receive at your baptism. God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen you. So today we read in the gospel, the great gospel of liberation. You know, there's a little subtext here which we never talk about that much. 
This is one of the gospel readings that proves that Jesus knew how to read. Hebrew. He takes the scroll, he rolls it out, and he reads from the Hebrew text of Isaiah. There is no speaking of Hebrew by the time of Jesus. Jews didn't speak Hebrew as their ordinary language. The Jews in where Jesus lived spoke Aramaic or Greek. It's an interesting development that when I was in seminary a long time ago now, some of the, my New Testament professors would speculate that you know Jesus lived near a big Greek town called Sepphoris, had a Greek theater in it, the whole thing. His dad and him probably did a lot of jobs in Sepphoris. The word in the New Testament for what Jesus was, his dad, is tecton. Doesn't mean carpenter, it sort of means contractor. Okay? So he's there doing work. Now let's just assume Jesus spoke Greek. So that means if he did, he was in and out of these two languages, it's one thing. But no Hebrew. He had to go to Hebrew school to learn that. So he must have. And he reads from the book of the prophet Isaiah about the promise of the, the promises of God, the presence of the transforming spirit of God that has come now to the world and he is demonstrating to them was always present in their sacred literature and has now been uniquely placed before that congregation in the synagogue in his person. He is the fulfillment of those words. This isn't some braggadocio thing where he's telling everybody what a great guy he is, but that this now has been focused in him the unique focus of the divine presence and his ability to say to people how as a human being you can appropriate this liberating work and become part of it as we live together because this gospel of Luke was written for the church. I've quoted Henry Chadwick to you many times, famous guy. The church is prior to the scriptures. That's, a, that's very important. The church is prior to the scriptures. That is why Episcopalians believe in the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, the tradition with a capital T, out of which the biblical witness emerged, and our human reason and experience, how we think about those things as we live in every age. So if anybody ever asks you about this, this sounds kind of rough to people who, you know, sort of the Bible becomes... You tell them that here's what happened in the New Testament. Here's what emerged in order of appearance. The Episcopacy bishops, the baptismal creed, the believer's affirmation of what they believed as they were being baptized and what their responsibilities and, and prerogatives were as a member of the community of the baptized and the canon of the scriptures in that order. So it is important in every age for you to think about what it is we read in the Bible and what application, if at any, 
it has to our, our faith in life. And for Luke, we're blessed to be a congregation under St. Luke's patronage because we believe that God's liberating power is something that will animate each of us on a daily basis to make a difference in the, in the world, to be the transparency and a reflection of God's grace and love that we're called to be. So as we go through the week, thinking about St. Luke the physician, give thanks for God's healing power and presence. That is one of Luke's great emphases. Remember also, without getting too down this road, the word that is used in the New Testament for to save is the same word that is used for to heal. In the Hebrew Bible, the same word that means to save also means to heal. So when we think about salvation and we as the people of God have some responsibility to bring that to one another and to the world, we are also bringing God's healing power, clicking things back into place, being who we already are, what the world was when God made it and called it good. So give thanks for being part of this Wonderful dedication, St. Luke the Physician. Amen. <laughs>